Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Greasters, thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you have been enjoying the show, please do rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe so you never miss an episode, or just tell someone that, despite your initial misgivings, you have actually been enjoying a podcast about death and help spread the word that cheery chats about grief and death are, in fact, possible. Thank you so, so much if you've done so already. It, it genuinely is so appreciated. I read all of these and I'm hugely touched by all of them, so thank you. Just a reminder, I have another live episode coming up on November the 16th at the Dulwich Picture Gallery in London. I'll be joined by Jeff Lloyd from the Reason to be Cheerful podcast, Sophie Duker from Channel 4's Riot Girls, and Stevie Martin from the Nobody Panic podcast as well. Tickets are available from the Dulwich Picture Gallery website. This week, I'm talking to singer, writer and broadcaster, Anna Matronic. You probably best know Anna from her time as the front lady of mega band, the Scissor Sisters. She's also written a book called Robot Takeover and has her own radio show on Radio 2 called Dance Devotion. Anna came in to talk to me about her dad, Robert, who died of AIDS when she was a teenager. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here with musician, broadcast and author, Anna Matronic. Hello. Hello. Hi, it's so Um, nice to be here. And what country is Matronic from? <laughs> Where does your surname hail from? An unusual German name, perhaps. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Teutonic all the way. It sounds very Teutonic, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's close to Mantronic, isn't oh, yeah. it? That is a, that is an actual surname, and I often get called Anna. Yeah, like I once met Liam Gallagher, and he's like, yeah, Anna Mantronic. <laughs> yeah, you're in your lane, man. You know, and it's like, yeah. How okay. did you react to that? <laughs> I just, you just smile, smile. and nod and yeah. hand him a pint. <laughs> hey. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I just got very excited. You just told me that you've written a book, which is The 100 Greatest Robots. It's called Robot Takeover, which, yeah, I, uh, we, I attempted to quantify, which in and of itself is a problem, um, <laughs> The 100 Greatest Robots of All Time. And it was really difficult because I... First of all, when I started doing it, I thought I thought it would be easy. Yeah. But then you get into it and you think, well, robots have the distinction 
unlike any other aspect of science fiction, of actually being real. Yeah. So we can't oh, just talk about... Yeah, like 100 Greatest Werewolves. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> sure, fine, yeah. easy. There aren't real werewolves. Yeah. So I actually had quite a learning curve of talking about the, the, the real robots in addition to the fictional ones. And there's also... You know, robots are used so much in advertising, in music, in music videos. Yeah. I couldn't have a list of the greatest, you know, greatest robots of all time without talking about Kraftwerk, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I opened a can of worms and found out that there was an- another can of worms wow. inside that one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was an interesting challenge and I learned a lot. Have you always been into robots? Like when yeah. you were a kid, was that just like... Yeah, I credit it with the fact... It's funny. We're going to we're going to talk about him, um, but I credit it to the fact that C three PO, which is what Star Wars the original is one of the first films I ever saw. Mm, great, and the, the greatest f- film, one of the greatest. Films yes, ever. Um, I credit it with the fact that C three PO really reminded me of my father. Wow! So robots weren't scary to me. They yeah. were, you know warm and fuzzy and familial yeah. and plus shiny so <laughs> you know it's like a magpie you were like i'm in yeah i'm in this is yeah wow c3po C-3PO. i suppose i mean he's very um everybody says yeah. he's the annoying gay one <laughs> and most of my friends throughout life have been the annoying gay one and i suppose too. i always saw him as very because he's got that sort of 1930s fan is it Fantasia? Do I mean not Metropolis? Fan- Metropolis, sorry, yeah. mixed up Metropolis. Look about him. Yes, but with being a sort of English butler. Yeah, that's how I didn't see him as the annoying gay one. Actually, yeah, I always thought as I, I watched that um, that series of films since I was a child. Me and my brother used to watch Star Wars every day before school. Oh, nice. I mean, I wanted to watch Yellow Submarine, but we had a fight every day, mm. and he's four years older, so we'd watch sure. Star Wars. Um, but I always thought C-3PO was pretty sensible and had some good things to say. <laughs> I always thought so, too. And um, one of one of the really cool things I recently got to do was host the premiere of The Last Jedi. <gasps> no! And I got to interview all the stars as <gasps> no! they were coming down, which I was coming out of my skin. Oh, my God! And Anthony Daniels was just so lovely. And I actually told him uh, that... You know, C-3PO reminded me of my father and uh, and he said, well, you know, I he is always really concerned for everyone. And and his concern is is actually based out of a real uh, caring and emotion. And um, and I think that that's interesting that the the robot that's programmed to communicate um, his his outward function is communication, but inwardly, the thing that drives him is concern and compassion. Yeah. And that, to me, says that you can't communicate with a whole bunch of different kinds of things to communicate with. People, uh, you know, moisture converters, whatever, <laughs> uh, without without a level of compassion and understanding. Yeah, yeah because also I think it's like... The brilliant. We're really going for it now. No, no. Not a Star Wars Nerds. cast. The brilliance of R two D two and C three PO is that they seem like friends. Yes. Like, and the bickering is lovely because there's like they seem like old friends. Yes. And without C three PO fussing, it wouldn't be the same. And they're you, gay icons. Yeah. R two D two is a tool belt dyke. <laughs> I have to say, I had never seen that, but I'm with you. It's I, totally. I like, yeah. like short, round, handy. <laughs> Doesn't really communicate in too many... Be- beeps, drive, yeah, drives an X-Wing. Or yeah, has a little bit of a high-pitched voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Anna, before we get to... I can tell if I don't stop, we'll just talk Star Wars. Because I could just... I know it too well. You know, yeah, and I, well. I can talk about robots until I'm blue yeah, in the face yeah. and often do. So, who are we remembering today? We are... We are, funnily enough and, and fittingly enough, remembering my father. Your dad. Yeah, Robert. Robert. And when did Robert die? Robert died January 1990. Oh, okay. So right, yeah. Yeah, so, oh, my mouth is so I bad. was 15. You were 15? Oh, yes, we talked, yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> we had this conversation, if this is why you're here, because, so you were 15, as I was 15 when my dad died. Yeah. yeah. But I'm trying to, how many years ago? Oh, 20, 28 years ago. Yeah, God, and I only yeah. know that because I'm, mine was 20 years ago, so that's okay, why, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, so what what happened? What did he die of? 
He died of AIDS. Okay. And this was, um, my father was gay. He came out of the closet when I was six years old. Or, or that's when I learned he was gay. He, he came out of the closet, I think, before that. Right. And that was the, the cause of my parents' divorce. And then um, I was around six when right. I learned that he was gay, and which didn't, I didn't really kind of know. But yeah, he was already in a relationship with someone in a long-term living, okay. live-in relationship. So it was basically... My mother telling me that the relationship she used to have with my dad, uh, he now has it with his partner, Don. And so th- that made me sad in the notion that my parents weren't ever going to get back together. Yeah, yeah. Uh but uh, not because he was gay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it's, it was that notion of, oh, the, that sort of finality setting in of like, yeah. you know, oh, this life that I've known is definitely, this new thing is the new normal. So, um yeah, and then um, do you, any, I was, do you have any brothers and sisters? I have an older sister, Kate, okay. right. um, two years older than me. Right, okay. and we're yeah, we're quite close in age and maturity levels. So it there's not it doesn't feel we never really had the sort of older younger sister right, dynamic yeah. too much. Yeah, it was mild. So he was with your mum for a little bit in kind of like you know heteronormative relationship with children, and yes. and then. Yeah, realized he would. Yeah, yeah, and and he was gay. Watching, uh, actually, watching the the film about Harvey Milk, I realized that Harvey's famous speech, the "Come out, come out, wherever you are" speech, happened not that long before oh, wow. my dad left. And I, I understand now, as an adult, that he couldn't hide who he was anymore. Yeah. He had lived in denial for a long time, and my parents' generation believed that you chose your sexuality. Yeah. They believed that it was a lifestyle choice and um he was proof that it wasn't. It's yeah. not a choice. It is something that you are born uh or even even regardless, even if you're you're not born that way. Um even if it is a choice, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So were you close to him growing up? Ish. Um, we would see him about four times a year, and uh, and where is this? He he lived in San Francisco in the Bay Area, yeah. and we lived in Portland, Oregon. So it's um, yeah, it's not it's not close. Yeah. They're in different states. Um, a, a flight takes about an hour and a half from okay. Portland to San Francisco. Uh, so we would see him about four times a year. And he was a very guarded person. Mm. So he would do things like take us to Disneyland and take us to to uh, destinations. And it wasn't really about um, connection other than... More, it was more about experiencing fun things together. Right. Okay. And that was um, that was great. And it wasn't until I went with him to New York when I was thirteen years old. It was my first trip to New York City. And it, you know, from like five minutes in the city, I was like, I am going to live here someday. <laughs> um, that's when I started feeling him opening up a little bit more about his life. But I don't think he had a particularly happy childhood. Right. And so. Um, so yeah, so he, it wasn't really until the very end that he kind of started to open up. Um, but I didn't, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about him yeah, and yeah. learned sort of after he passed from Don. And I suppose it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because especially, you know, it still happens now, but in that day, especially it was a lot of like, well, kids won't really understand. How can I explain? Yeah you know, what my boyfriend is and all of that or what my life is. Yeah. So you just hang out and you don't talk about it because a kid won't understand. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess. So when you were 13, did he sort of start explaining about his life? Do you mean like who Don was? And what no, was I, I at that point I knew who Don was because, you know, he had been in my life for six years. Yeah. But um, it, the conversation happened with my mom and then my dad knew it happened and it, then it wasn't really <laughs> spoken right, about. Yeah. Um, and... And um, it's interesting. Tracy Ullman had a character who had two dads. Oh, it was right. basically like she had her gay, she had her dad who was gay, and then she had her partner, and she lived with them. And I can't remember the name of the of the character or the name of her dad's husband, but she was like, "This is my dad." She introducing it to her, to a friend is like, "And this is my 
Donald, you know, and it was like yeah, yeah. this. Here is the the other sort of parental person who's not a parent but is a parent, and so that was done. Wow. Yeah. So when you're um, thirteen and you start getting to know him a bit more, what was the kind of like? Did you, so you got closer? Is that what you sort of felt happened? Um, a little bit, but it was still it was still those were the those were the smaller moments in the larger moments of right, like yeah. sightseeing or yeah. things like that. You know? And when did you know he was sick? So how like how long was he sick it, for? Well, this was this was the late eighties. Yeah. So when. When you got full-blown AIDS, you had less than a year. Wow. And so uh, I was 14. It was the springtime. My sister asked him because he wasn't feeling well, and it was very, very obvious that something was going on. Okay. And and she asked him point blank on the phone, and he uh, he admitted, admitted that he... He had AIDS, and had you two, had you heard of it then? You, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is 1989, so right, yeah. 85. It really, it right. really blew up in the news and in public consciousness. So yes, it was going on, and I mean, I I lived in America, so um, you know, it was all about how do we teach sex ed, how do we yeah. keep kids safe, how do we not spread it, and there was a huge conversation about abstinence education and yeah. and then you know condoms in schools and things like that mm-hmm. so she outright asked him she outright asked him and he confirmed that he was positive and um and had the diagnosis of aids which at that point you're you're you you're hiv positive until you have full-blown aids and then it's like you are you that's it you're tiktok yeah. get your house in order what happened after as soon as after you guys found out? Okay, Dad's got AIDS. Was was there a conversation? Did you go and see him? We had at that point. My mother had remarried, right? And I was living with. I don't like to call him my stepdad. I call him. I call him my dad, which makes it confusing because there's two. <laughs> so <laughs> there's Dad one and there's Dad two. Right. And uh, Dad two uh was very very open uh emotionally and about grief and so we all had just a big grief session wow where we all cried mom was very very open about it you know let's get it out yeah. let's then let's and then let's go get some ice cream or whatever you know so that that's what happened that's what i remember happening and we were very very open about it and my parents were very very open about allowing us the space to talk about it and to grieve yeah. and uh, dad to, you know, if like, if Donahue, if there, Donahue was on and they were talking about HIV AIDS, he would record it and we would watch it together wow. and he, they would facilitate me talking about it. And that was really, that was a gift. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I got, I got the sort of emotional support from them that I didn't really get from my father, from yeah. dad one. Yeah. God, that is incredible in that day and age, though. Because yeah. it must—it must have been because you know I—I—I I, I remember AIDS, like you said, <laughs> suddenly becoming a big trend. Yeah. And um, but it was—it must have been so scary because that's all I remember was like mm-hmm. it was oh it it's a sort of the equivalent now of, of like when people say cancer it was like Ooh. yeah yeah like the the door would shut and the windows would rattle yeah like it well had that it would, kind of like, like certain kinds of cancer like I have stage four brain cancer yeah. like that the you know the blinds close yeah, and everybody's yeah. like oh everyone's okay. like, yeah everyone's getting the funeral outfit ready they're like okay so it must yeah. have been really scary to hear that word when it had been so yeah the thing that was being talked about and discussed and it was terrifying and where i went to high school i was born in portland oregon and then when my mother remarried dad too we moved to a city across the river. It's called Vancouver, but it's not Vancouver, British Columbia. It's Vancouver, Washington. And I went to high school at Prairie High School in Brush Prairie, Washington, which was not the geographically closest high school, but the way the school zoning was, that was the one I went to. And it was quite rural. There were... It sounds super rural. Brush Prairie, Washington. Brush Prairie. As an English person, I'm like, wow. And Brush Prairie, Washington now would be referred to as... Trump country. Wow. It's very, it's very, very conservative. There was a Mormon church, like, at the corner of my high school. I went to high school with uh, a lot of, like, dairy farmers' kids who drove to school with a, in a pickup truck with a rifle rack <laughs> and, a you know, a uh, 
a bumper sticker that says, if you don't like Hank Williams Jr., you can kiss my and a picture of a donkey <laughs> ass. Yeah. I bumper stickers just working great wit since 1925. Oh, really great. And, yeah. you know, a guy who sat behind me, Brian, his family subscribed to the KKK newsletter. So this is a really, really, Whoa. you know, the fact that my I had a dad who was gay was not something I let people know. Wow. And I learned really quickly to keep that keep that, keep that quiet. Yeah. So I wasn't able to be to use, for lack of a better term, I wasn't able to be out about his status yeah, yeah. to anybody but my closest friends and to the rest of, of the school he had cancer. Wow, so you just said he had cancer. Yeah, because it was just, it was, What you know, else can you do? Yeah, you can't, exp- like, if you say even that word was so charged, I imagine oh, and they're not going to hear the rest of the story. Absolutely. Like, it's like, what? He is AIDS? Is he a faggot? You yeah. know, it's that sort of thing. That must have been really hard. Oh, I hated that high school. And I, like, spat upon the ground. Um, Well, I I will say I had some really great friends and I had some really good teachers who were were very, very instrumental in my healing, including one that really, really reminded me of my father, of Robert, Juan Christian. He was my English teacher. He was an amazing guy. And he looked like he could have been my father's brother. Sounded like him. Didn't dress at all like him. (laughs) But uh, was a very, very sensitive, caring, amazing person. And he didn't really know it, but he was very instrumental in my healing. Because we were just, you know, we would read great books and talk about them and have a really nice... We had a really nice relationship. Did you tell him what your dad had died of? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you had some outlet, but very Definitely. small. Because, God, I, yeah, that's it's so tough being a teenager going through grief anyway. Mm. I can't imagine. And we've talked about, I mean, maybe this is a terrible comparison, but we have talked about this before when it's suicide, that, Oof. like, it's a, it's a difficult thing to talk about and you don't get, like, it's something, I, it's this weird thing, I guess, like I have a privilege that I can say my dad died of pancreatic cancer and everyone mm-hmm. was like oh like I never felt ashamed of that yeah, yeah. or worried I never had to think oh how's people going to react to this like I yeah. never had that so it must have been just an added layer of bullshit to deal with yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like yeah. not only am I in pain I'm grieving ugh, I also have to kind of twist this little bit so that you don't get upset like yeah. that's a lot to yeah yeah so, more, more, more than that. It was just like I, I do not want to have the conversation with somebody who does doesn't and won't get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was more of a, <laughs> it was more of like time saving maneuver. Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. Some cases too. It's like my dad has cancer. I'm wearing all black. Yeah, yeah. Where's the funeral? Yeah, it's gonna be my dad's really soon. <laughs> Fuck Shut you. Up. So um so what happened when he he did die like were you with him or what We were we had just been with him right. because he spent we went down for Christmas my sister and I and um And was he very sick? He then? was very sick and spent Christmas in the hospital. Wow. So he was in intensive care and just had just was able to uh shake his head you know sh- yeah. say yes or no with his head. That was it cuz he had he had a a breathing tube um and yeah he was he was hooked up wow yeah and he was improving and then Kate and I left and he took a turn for the worse and he he died I think two days after we left and yeah Don and and compounded by that was the death of my grandmother which happened exactly a month to the day before so my grandmother died at the beginning of December so I'm grieving my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, in a hospital in the Bay Area. Like, please, please don't take my dad right now. This really <laughs> sucks. And yeah, and then and then there was the kerfuffle of their funerals being planned for the same day, which that was. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. But that had to be. That, we rectified that, but yeah, it was. That's uh, huge. And was your grandma's death kind of the first big? bereavement no because actually it's funny my one of my very first memories is going to visit my grandfather on his deathbed wow i was three when he passed and um i remember the 
I'm sure it's not that long a hallway now if I were to walk it as an adult, but I remember a very, very long hallway with uh, colored lines on the walls. There were two on one side and one on the other that showed you the way to a specific ward. So it was like, follow the red line for intensive care. And um, yeah, he was in intensive care. I don't really remember anything other than, you know, his passing and then my grandmother came to to live with us. So I spent a, a good chunk of my really young, formative years with my grandmother. So you were close to her. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And then you're dealing with all of that. Yeah, and my mother, you know, my it's my mom's mom, and I have a very close relationship with my mom, and she had a very close relationship with her yeah. mom. So, you know, seeing her grieve yeah. was really difficult and then having this other layer of like oh my god I'm I'm losing a parent as yeah. well and so did what how were you told at 15 like what did someone just sit you down or did you get a phone call I got a phone call from Don and he he said you know your father's at peace and I'm like what does that mean oh, you know god. and I'm like, yeah, yeah. like and he's like he died and uh, yeah. <laughs> please just tell me like what well, yeah yeah don't don't sugarcoat this this is this is the hard stuff um and um, yeah, he told me, and then and then it was just all like you know that very similar to the way that we received the news of his having AIDS, you know the whole house erupted and we you know just cried and held each other and let it out and there I'm sure there was chocolate involved <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> God, and so then going mm. back to school after all that. Yeah, I don't even I barely even remember that. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was sullen times. And there was also this other weird layer going on, which was I was preparing to be an exchange student the next year and spend my entire school year away from home. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a real question of, of, do you want to do this? And are you sure you want to do this? But it was six months after he passed that I left. So after, you know, having that, that, uh, period of grief, um, yeah, by, by about three months later, I was like, I can't not go. Where did you go? South Africa. Oh, wow. (laughs) I think that's kind of good. I can imagine after six months, you're like, I want to not be the girl that's covered in death. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I remember we went, (laughs) Um, there's like this tradition in England, like after your exams, you know, mm. like a bit spring break, but we yeah. we go somewhere horrible. And, um, well, that's spring yeah, break, yeah. pretty much go somewhere horrible as well. And I just done my GCSEs, so it was about yeah. I did my GCSEs two weeks after he died, I think, and then God, brutal. Yeah, I just didn't care. I just didn't give a shit at all, obviously. And then um, we all went to Spain, I think, like a big gang of girls. And again, everyone was like, "Oh, do you know? Do you want to go?" And I was like, like. Yeah, I kind of want to be normal, don't you? You want you don't want your like you don't want everything to stop, even mm. though even though I went and it was hard, and I remember crying in clubs and being like, I don't know what I'm what I'm doing, or people yeah. thinking she's so drunk, and I was like, I'm not drunk, I'm grieving, and I shouldn't be here. But at the same time, I think you sort of need those things. Oh yeah, definitely. Sort of, it's sort of it's more that people are like, oh, she's upset. And you're like, yeah, but. Like, be upset in a club in Spain or be upset in my room alone in London. Exactly. Like, what's the difference? Exactly. So You're going to feel that loss yeah. no matter what. So it must have been quite nice to go away and just... Yeah, it was. ...not have to kind of deal with it, I guess. Like, just have a break from it. Yeah. There was that and and um, my sister was was had left the house. So it was like, you know, it was kind of like both kids went off to kind of do their own thing and it was such an exciting formative year that it allowed me the space for joy and to not dwell on 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 the sort of negative aspects of it so that was that was a real that was another gift yeah yeah so then what happened you're saying with Don because Mm. obviously he had you had you been sort of close to him before, or kind of? Not really, yeah. and and um, and that was that was kind of the sad thing is after after Robert passed, I think it was just too painful for Don to keep yeah. keep in touch. Uh, so we lost touch, and I don't know if he's still alive. I think he's passed because wow. I think he was also positive, but yeah. I don't know for sure. Um, and I've never i i've i've sort i 
I once like did a Google search, but I didn't see anything. So I have a feeling he's passed. Wow. But um, but I don't know for sure. But you said I like that Don told you a bit more stuff about your dad. Yeah, he told me that my dad told him he was adopted, which I have no idea if that's true or not. Wow. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, oh my god. Yeah, I know that he grew up in Astoria, Oregon, where the Goonies is set, <laughs> and um, his parents were both older when he was born so he could have been adopted but i don't really know God, yeah. that must have been really tough as well to get this information and not have yeah any way of saying oh, right you come back here what what's this don's just told me like to not have him around to yeah figure it out and my mother was like no he wasn't adopted i lived his mother lived with us for a time and yeah. and uh he he never made mention of of being adopted when when we were together so I don't know what's yeah. I don't know what's the truth. So yeah, it's it's an odd one. Yeah, God, that mm. is so much to unpack. So then, yeah, and it's I the thing that I've I've sort of mourned and still mourn is getting to know him as an adult because yeah. there's that moment you reach with your parent where it's like, oh, you fucked me up, <laughs> but you got fucked up too. Yeah, and you're this imperfect fucked up creature who's the product of a perfect and fu- fucked up creature who's the product of a per- imperfect fucked up creature you know and it's yeah. like it, nobody n- nobody has all the answers when they have kids <laughs> nobody no, no and not. um and yeah i i didn't get to that point with robert and i and i think that that is too bad and i think that he would have loved scissor sisters yeah yeah my god and you know everything that i became but then also maybe i wouldn't have become all of those things without him passing and you know uh part of it is is um you know a function of trying to posthumously connect with him yeah in a way that's fascinating i mean i totally i obviously i totally get that being 15 and I think it's uh, any age, as we always say on the show, any age is shit. But I feel like 15, there's a little bit like you get the tiny glimpse of like what an yeah. adult relationship might be like. Yeah. And then it's gone. And my brother was 19 when he died. And I mm. always felt like they had a difficult relationship, but they were sort of like, I remember hearing them talking and not like they'd have a big chat and me being like, oh, I don't know. It sounds like a big adult chat. Like, but I'm too scared to kind of stay around in case I get involved. Right. But knowing that, Knowing, I sort of had that innate thing of like, yeah, I don't need to do that yet. Mm-hmm. They're they're having mm. a big chat because my brother's nineteen, but right. I don't need to do that yet. Like, I'm gonna hover around and you know, listen in, but like, I'm not ready for that sort of chat with my dad. Mm. But I will. I'm sure I will be. Like, you know, that trust that you think, yeah, yeah, one day we'll have a big heart to heart or an adult conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's really hard to just not to not get those those questions and those answers like mm-hmm. you know all those things that bubble up in your head years later it's yeah it's it sucks yeah <laughs> it just sucks but i think that's fascinating about scissor sisters that obviously you did have this massive gay following and yes. there was this huge part of what your communication and what you were doing oh yeah and i moved i i lived in in the sort of portland metro area where I was born until I was 21. And um, I was, at that point, I was working at Starbucks. <laughs> um, I was living in a house full of friends and commuting into work to, um, every day. And then I got involved in what ostensibly was a drag troupe. Right. <laughs> Doing kind of like burlesque. It was kind of burlesque and drag. And it was mostly women, cisgendered women. There were two drag queens, Honey Love and Betty Bomber. <laughs> and uh, and that's where I met my friend Michael. And Michael, who has also passed, <laughs> Michael was a very instrumental person in my life. And we went on vacation together to San Francisco to visit his uh, his friend, his ex-boyfriend, Michael, who's also named Michael. Yes, very confusing. So many dads, <laughs> so many Michaels. Um, and we went to a rave, because that's what you did in the 90s, um, in, in San Francisco. And Michael, we were dancing underneath a giant sculpture of an alien sort of mother figure that his 
friend and ex-boyfriend Michael had made. Um, and we were dancing and he said, what do you think about moving into my studio and we save up money and we move here to San Francisco? And I didn't even need to think about it. I was well, like, yes. yes. I, I wanted to get out of Portland. I had already had that taste of the larger world as yeah, an exchange yeah. student. Um I knew that there was something larger out there for me. And so we moved to San Francisco. And, uh, Which, of course, where your dad had been yeah. living, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and um, seeing, seeing and experiencing San Francisco as an adult was um, really, really pleasurable and felt comfortable, yeah. but challenging enough that, yeah, I can move to that city and and uh, make a go of it and see what happens. And Michael's ex-partner, Michael, who we will now refer to as Darlin, um, that's his drag name. Darlin was performing at this club, Tranny Shack, which we now call T-Shack, since Tranny is becoming a a gray gray area (laughs) term. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, T-Shack... Uh, was happening and that basically was just this sort of continuation of what I had been doing with this drag sort of burlesque troupe and I started performing there and this was 1996 and 96 had 95 and 96 were the early part of of the year were basically what my friends and I refer to as the holocaust years wow where People who were positive were dropping like flies. And the there was a huge group of performers and sort of drag luminaries who had passed and in that last year. So I kind of came, I kind of moved to San Francisco in the aftermath of all of these people wow. passing. And there was a real, um, I actually didn't really realize it at the time, but I found a sort of community of people who had been through yeah. that same pain. And we used, you know, we used each other and we used humor a lot in order to get through this. That's incredible, though, mm. that you basically found a group of people that had would finally understand what it meant to have lost someone to AIDS. Yeah. Which, obviously, in Portland was just not going to happen. And, and friends who were living with HIV. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have friends who we... <laughs> who we jokingly refer to as patient zero because they've had they've been HIV positive since like 1982 wow and are still alive and still kicking and um and then other friends who you just can't believe are gone cuz yeah. you know I one friend Stephen who was positive but it wasn't the HIV that got him it was lymphoma because uh, a certain HIV cocktail was basically like causing such a such a uh, strain on the system that you it gave you cancer <laughs> so, so I so the drugs he was taking literally gave him cancer basically yeah and Fuck. I have I have I think at least three friends who have been through that two who are still alive and one they missed a spot in a diagnosis in a diagnosis and that took him he was like 35, something like that. Oh One of the most God. amazing performers I've ever seen, Stephen, the Steve lady. Oh, my God, that's mm. insane, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, Yeah, I mean, I've lost a lot of friends. I've lost, and I've lost people who, you know, I lost a friend who was HIV positive and took his own life because he was just yeah. sick of dealing with it. Yeah. So it's, um, I have a, <laughs> I have a saying that is sort of, yeah, that, um, is very fitting and kind of sums it all up, which is death was our drag mother. (laughs) And that really was kind of the climate Mm. of that time. It was like, you don't, you don't know how long you have with people. Um, So make it fun and enjoy yourself and enjoy them. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. That must have been such an intense time. It was really intense. And, you know, looking back on it as a kid, um, I didn't really get it. But the American government was culpable in the spread of HIV. Um, they refused to act yeah. for a long time. And, you, you know, you watch a film like The Dallas Buyers Club oh, and you yeah, see what people yeah. had to go through to get just the smallest amount of relief and treatment. It's horrific. And it makes you really, really, that's when like the rage starts setting in yeah. and you see it, you know, I, I see it and feel it very much now uh, with sort of what's happening in, in the States with healthcare in general, mm. you know, that we have to have a debate that about universal healthcare in the 21st century is ridiculous i know it's it's yeah i find stuff like that really hard because i just can't even like and i i'm such a firm believer in like i'm a really firm believer in being like you can't just say you're right like the other side always has interesting points like it's always worth debating mm. and, and and positive debate and positive discussion yeah you know i hate this like well we just don't want to hear from them it's like you, you, that's not how you win arguments. I'm such a winner. I'm such a right. determined winner of an argument. I know you win by listening to what they have to sure. say. But when it comes to universal health, I'm like, nah, what What do you have to argue? <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. Like, I can't even, especially someone who grew up with the NHS. I, like, yeah. I remember I remember being about 12 and someone saying about, oh, you know, in abroad you don't. And I was like, what? And they're like, you'd have to pay. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand what it meant. Oh, yeah. I was like, what do you mean you'd pay? And they're like, when you go to hospital, Americans pay. I was like, like... It's a shop. I was like, "What do you like?" I couldn't get my head yeah, around yeah. it. It's. I was so confused. I was like, "Why would anyone?" It's not a shop. It's a hospital. You're sick. What choice do you have? Like, yeah, it's um, really crazy. Yeah, then you realize the privilege you've been brought up with of just like we. It just didn't mean anything. And you talk to even the most conservative people in in Britain, in the UK, and they wouldn't even dream about taking away the NHS. You know, universal healthcare is just a given. And so it's crazy to me that people argue uh, in the States about, you know, about, about it. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, this sort of notion that like, oh, if, if I have uh, the government paying for my healthcare, then I can't see the doctor I want. It's like, there are still private doctors yeah. and private hospitals and all of that stuff. Which is what so. happens here. Like, exactly. if you need to see someone you and you can pay for it, you do. Obviously, the, the people who can't, well, and you know, as you know, RNA. I can tell you, yeah. I have been to see a doctor over here and I've paid for it and it's still cheaper than going to the doctor without insurance in the States. God. So, like, even being uninsured over here is cheaper than being uninsured in the States. It's just stupid. It's a fucking racket. And that must be so... Like, and I can imagine in that midst of that community when there are so many sick people mm-hmm. and there's the stigma of being gay mm-hmm. and that that disease, as it was called then, was a gay disease and people were stigmatising it so badly. Mm-hmm. That it must have been just like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I can see why it became, well, fuck it, we're just going to 
have this fun and like you said just have fun and enjoy it because what else can we do like there's nothing left is there you've taken everything from us san francisco is a great place uh for community clinics outreach public health they're i mean they're basically a socialist city for lack of a better term but the social programs and the and the safety net in San Francisco is incredible because also they are and were um, a gay mecca. Um, the you know the gay men's health crisis, um, all kinds of of public health initiatives were started, and all kinds of awareness was raised yeah. in San Francisco. So it you know people talk about being woke, um, and San Francisco has kind of always been that way. Yeah, which is which is great. And uh, still remains that way to this day. Well, was it hard, like, when they were dying of the same thing as your dad? Did you have that slight... Because I get a bit funny when people have cancer. Like, I find mm. it a little bit like, you know, it, it's not always pancreatic cancer, but as soon as oh, I know someone that's sick, I get that slight, like, yeah, like, I've been here before. Like, did you have that with your friends? Or did you just... Was there actually, an, not enjoyment, but, like, a relief of, like, oh, I'm getting to see it this time? Um, Yeah, I don't think it was really either. I think it was just... at. You know, it, at that point, you just you had to take care of yourself. You had to take precautions if you were intimately involved with people you didn't know that well. But at the same time, um, whether people shared their status with you or not was their business. Right. Okay. And um, when people shared their status with me, if they were positive, I'd just be like, listen, if you, you know, I will, all, I will, all I would say was, if you need anything, even if it's at three in the morning, call me, yeah. you know, and it was just that kind of, it was an acceptance. And it, I think that is what came out of losing my dad at such a young age yeah. is a, I'm very accepting of, of the sort of process. And <laughs> after my dad died, I was the sort of like go-to grief counselor I'm sure this happened to you as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, when my friends were dealing with death for the first time, I was one of the first calls, if not the yeah. first phone call. Well, we say that on the show all the time. Like, oh, yeah, I was go-to grief girl because it's yeah. like it's a club and you got there early. Yeah. So it's like people being like, what should I wear? And you're like, okay, this is what you need. I'm in the club now and mm-hmm. it, you need this and don't bring this. Like, you, yeah. you just have all this extra information because you've just been there longer. Mm-hmm. But it is it is hard to, I think, well, it's not, I don't know. It just is what it is, isn't it? Like, yeah. I never minded doing it, but there was always times when, there's obviously that time you're like, it'd be nice that I, or I don't know, I'd see someone who clearly wasn't in the club or mm-hmm. had no, didn't, to me, in my, you know, judgment which is obviously based on my own privileges seemed like they didn't have an idea what it was like in this club and I'd have a little moment of like I'd be nice to visit over there yeah (laughs) I'd like to visit that hill you're on which seems like just like everyone's breathing Mm -hmm. and everyone's happy Mm -hmm. and on my hill it's like everyone's dying but Mm -hmm. it's the reality you know so there's a comfort to it in that way because at least you know it and also it's something that as we get older we're going to deal with more and more and um funnily enough just a few days ago, oh. my grandmother-in-law passed. Oh. But it's not sad because yeah. she was 99 years old. <laughs> On her headstone, it's going to say, born 1918, died 1918. Her 100th birthday. Is 2018. Just, uh, 2018, yeah. <laughs> uh, she was born... Um, yeah, and she... Yeah, just a f- it's in just a couple weeks, it's her birthday. Wow. Um, it is sad because I won't get to see her again. But at the same time, she lived a long time. She saw every single one of her friends die. Yeah, yeah. She luckily, you know, didn't outlive any of her children, which is good. But she outlived her spouse. She outlived all of her spouse's brothers and sisters. Yeah. She was she was the matriarch. And so at a certain at a certain point, I think if you get to if you get well, I saw Nan. I saw it with Nan. She was like, "I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready." And so this is the kind of thing that as we age and get older, we're going to deal with so much more often. You yeah. know, I th- who was it that I think it was Pam Hogg on Instagram said she's lost ten people this year. Wow, that's a 
that's a lot of people to deal with. Yeah. That's a lot of funerals to go to. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, let's talk about living in New York in September 11th, 2001. Luckily, I didn't lose anybody in um, when the Twin Towers were atta- attacked, but I ran into a guy who I used to work with like a week after it happened, and he was going to seven funerals in one week of people he knew you know so this is the sort of thing that we're all gonna have to deal with if we're not the one in the casket we're gonna be (laughs) the one beside the casket Mm -hmm. yeah I know and I I think like the more I've done the show the more I've just been like oh it's just so normal yeah. But I wonder if you have what I had, which is I grew up thinking it was quite an odd thing that happened to me, like that my dad had died of cancer. And there was some mm-hmm. girls in my year who had the same thing. But I remember feeling like most of my friends, their parents were both there. Yeah. And I felt a bit like, oh, this kind of this slightly strange thing happened to me. But now the more I talk to people, I'm like, no, it's so normal. <laughs> like, yeah. It just happens to everybody, like in different was, times. Yeah. I was always... I already felt weird because I was one of the first kids in school whose parents were divorced. Then I had a gay parent. Then I I was just a weirdo anyway. And, um, you know, and then like, then we moved to this very conservative community and I have to not be out about who my dad is and then he gets sick. And then, yeah, so I was, I was always like, I, I know some Someday, somewhere out there is uh, a group of people who feel weird and isolated like yeah. me. And I did have a couple of people in my in my growing up in my hometown who I could identify with in that way. And oh my god, I had I was so lucky because in Portland, Oregon, there was the City Nightclub, which was an all ages, all sexuality teenage nightclub and downstairs amazing. it was amazing god bless lanny swerdlow that was the name of the guy who ran it um <laughs> and uh downstairs it was pop and top 40 and upstairs which is where i hung out was goth and industrial wow thank god because i just yeah i'd put on my doc martens and fucking goose step out the <laughs> out the sadness to some Leibach. <laughs> That is so... God, yeah, we didn't... I mean, it's so different, obviously, growing up in London because you're spending your life trying to get into places that you're definitely not supposed to be (laughs) into. Um, But, yeah, amazing that you had something. Like you said, you find those... It sounds like you're... It sounds like you're quite good at surviving. Yeah. It sounds like you're quite good at being like, I need this and finding it. And I think think that's just massive strength because I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people... I've learned this... I'm quite good at knowing what I need, mm. but I've learned that some people don't know. They're sad and they don't know, but I think I'm yeah. very good at being like, I'm sad and I need a friend and an ice cream, please, yeah. and I will be fine. But I feel like sometimes you talk to people and they, they don't know how to fix the things. And I think that makes life quite hard sometimes. Yeah. But it seems like you had a sense of, mm, not here, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I I was very encouraged to share my feelings Yeah. with my parents. My mother and I were very close. Um, and we just talked stuff out. And I guess, you know, I was a I was a performative kid. I was a total ham. Go figure. You can't tell by <laughs> my creative output or career at all. Um, I was always somebody who was ready to share my feelings. Yeah. I was kind of emotionally, and still am in many ways, an, an open book. Luckily, I was very encouraged yeah. in that, and that part wasn't stifled. So, I never, I never felt uncomfortable making my needs known and addressing them and sharing yeah. them. And well, I think I similar. I come from a house where we we talked about it all the time, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a big deal to talk about it. It was very open and discussed, and people would cry, and it wouldn't be like, "Why are you crying?" It'd be like, "Let's all cry. Everybody cry. Come on, let's have a hug, and we'll all cry." And mm-hmm. I do think, yeah, that makes you. Yeah, you're right. It makes you more aware of. Oh, now I feel better, and now I feel mm-hmm. this. That helped. That didn't help. Like, but mm-hmm. if it's not, if it's not talked about, you don't get to practice it. You uh-huh. don't get to practice being emotional. I can show you one of the things that actually really helps, and it's not crying. You want to know? Yes. Okay, I have to move away from the mic because it might get really loud. But going like this, but really hard, (laughs) really helps. So like, like that really, really helps. And it's not crying. And I'm going to do it. Okay. Like as hard as you can. Okay, okay. I'll try harder. 
<laughs> then you got like some, you know, vibration going on in I your mouth. I just liked how much lips. of a fart it sounded like. Yeah. I thought that sounded like a really good, that sounded like a great fart impression. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. So I was like, wow, that's a really good fart impression. It does feel better. Yeah. It's kind of like a, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like getting it out. It's not laughing and it's definitely yes. not crying and there's a little bit of an aggression release. Yeah, so <laughs> therapy is, I don't know what those oh, are called. Raspberry good. therapy? Yeah, well, that's your next book. <laughs> raspberry therapy. <laughs> Animatronic raspberry therapy with robots. <laughs> I think that's really good. What is that? It's just something, I just think it's the same, like I sometimes just like, I sometimes just need to scream fuck into oh, yeah, a yeah. pillow. That's... And it's like, when I get cross when people say like, oh, don't swear. I'm like, no, 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 it's it's what gets me through the day. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And that feels as good as telling something to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and sometimes you just want to scream fuck and yeah. you can't, but you can't until, <laughs> until you're blue in the face and no one will get really get offended. They'll be like, oh, well, that's a very funny thing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it is kind of like, you know, it is kind of like saying fuck this. It yeah. Is, there's an emotional sort of release. But it comes it. back to this, like, like we were talking about, about this, you know, this community and government. And this is the thing that grief, like, there's no control over grief. Yeah. And so you do feel sometimes backed into a corner of like, well, what can I do with all this sadness? Yeah. And you can just tell it to fuck off and do a raspberry. That's quite nice. Because mm. it's like, I don't know, you sort of feel like... Yeah, it's that shrug of the shoulders, isn't it? It's like, that's it, it's life. But it's not yeah. But it's not everything. It's not... I think sometimes when you have a lot of grief, you can feel like that's all you can see. Yeah. And it's that good reminder of like, no, there isn't. There's other stuff. Yeah. But it just it overwhelms you because it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is, is the darkness is overwhelming. Yeah. And you do have to consciously light candles in order to to stave it off because it it does have the power to overtake you yeah definitely and it's it's uh it's sad that in a world of so much beauty it's the darkness that really really sticks with you i heard something the other day on a a podcast i was listening to it was saying like that with memories and sadness like it's it's you can't remember being happy as well as you can remember being sad. That's so, it's so true because, and I think because there's a real physical feeling of sadness that, and that sort of heavy in the chest, empty feeling that, you don't really get from happiness. There isn't sort of a physical equivalent. Well, sort of there is. Yeah, well, it's just saying it's so fleeting. It was like mm-hmm. happiness, you feel it physically, but it doesn't last in your mm-hmm. system. And obviously it's so, like, you know, primeval, isn't it? It's like there's a reason. If you're sad, your body needs to tell you and protect you to survive. But if you're happy, great. Your body doesn't need to do anything. Brilliant. Carry on being happy. We don't need to remember it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Move on. Now we need to find more things to eat and kill. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, but it's... It's important to remember that it is just that it's just a feeling. Like the mm-hmm. happiness is just a feeling, the sadness is just a feeling. It's like the Edinburgh Festival's on at the moment, and mm. all comedians have this saying of like, ignore the good reviews, ignore the bad ones. Like it, nothing of these things matter. And I, I sort of relate that to life. Of like, yeah, you know, it. By all means, acknowledge it. Yes, that's nice. That's horrible. But then don't you try not to linger too much mm. on these things because, like you said, it's overwhelming. And like, it's funny, isn't it? Like literally lighting candles. Why is that such a comforting thing to do? Because it reminds you mm-hmm. that there is, you know, there there will be light again in mm-hmm. this overwhelming feeling of sadness. This is some good advice, Anna. <laughs> Thanks. Light candles. Here's another one. Oh yeah, great. Well, I I had a, a friend take his own life back in 2011. He was my housemate, and that was that was actually very different from from. My dad's passing. Dad number two went when I was 22. Then, um, yeah, my friend Joe took his own life in 2011, right before my birthday, which was really annoying. Uh, really annoying. Um, and um, I walked around with a lot of sadness, yeah. a lot, because he lived with me. So, yeah. like, his stuff was there. That was that was something different than both of my dad's passing yeah. was I didn't live with them when they passed. So... There wasn't that sense of physical loss. And so that was really hard to deal with. That was something I had not dealt with before. Mm. And having, you know, that sense of their physicality, his room, his books, all of the stuff that made him him around, um, that was just so hard. And that was like six months of real, like, 
waking up and just being fucking sad yeah. all day. And um, I went to acupuncture. And I got some acupuncture, which I have had good success with in helping me just, like, release anxiety and de-stress. And the acupuncturist said, we put so much emphasis on happiness. Mm. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. That we forget that happiness is actually the other side of the coin of sadness. And in between them is just being. Yeah. And we place so much emphasis on being happy that you're, it's actually okay not to be happy. Mm. It's okay to just be. It's very normal. It's probably the easiest and more normal thing you should be doing rather yeah. than being happy or being extremely sad. Those are extremes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that it's okay to be neutral and yeah. it is okay to not be in a, a place where you have to decide or be in a certain feeling, you can not be yeah. <laughs> either. You can be both at the same time. And so much of it is about your sort of awareness and how am I feeling now? Am I am I sad? What's getting at the source of me? You know, am, I'm feeling sad because I miss Joe today. What do I miss about Joe? I miss... And then you start thinking about the great things. And you think about a joke he told or whatever. Then you start thinking about the good things. And and um, it's just about sort of that awareness, the mindfulness, and and engaging with, with the dark and the light. Yeah. And, you know, when you see the dark kind of taking you to... to light those little candles of good memories and 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 thing and you know the good things that you experienced oh god yeah and I think that's what I mean the massive thing I found doing the show of just remembering like it's it is normal people will die it doesn't Mm -hmm. make it not sad but Mm -hmm. it's just a part of the journey as much as the happiness is part of the journey it's all just what we what living is Mm -hmm. but it's so easy sometimes to think like well death is the worst thing rather than like it was just always going to happen yeah it doesn't mean the circumstances or how it happens or how you feel that that will always be sad and shit and painful yeah (laughs) yeah that will but yeah it can feel like well why did that happen rather than like that, it happened. That happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really, it's yeah. I mean, this is you know, if it was easy, someone would have figured it out by now. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, it's not easy. It's not Thus, easy. Grief cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this is such a great. It, I mean, this is such a great thing for people to come mm. to to understand and realize and know that they're not alone in yeah. this in these feelings. I think that's it. Like you said, when, you know, something happens to you, finding a community of like-minded, experienced people mm-hmm. really helps. And Man, I- and I tell you what, like, my friends are so good when the shit hits the fan. It's yeah. like you get a diagnosis. All right, cool. What do you need? Like, yeah. we're here, we're here, we're here. Like, it's just having gone through so many deaths, Yeah, um, you you get this sort of, like, practical, like, you know, like yeah. almost militaristic sort of like, yeah, okay, buckle down. All right. Somebody died. All right. Let's make some, let's make a pot roast. <laughs> you know, it's like. But that's how communities exist and survive. Mm-hmm. I think the communities we have now are are different from, say, like, you know, <laughs> the villages we used to live in. Yeah. But. Like, you know, your community of drag performers in San Francisco in the 1600s would not have existed. But it's the same thing of a community of people being like, this is what I've been through. This is how I can help you. Mm -hmm. And it's so important in this world where, you know, you're not in a village. You don't stay in the same place all the time, like to find your community and then realize that there are people who've been through what you've been through Mm -hmm. in almost every circumstances. There's someone who's been through that. Oh, yeah. And can and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And you're like, oh, you're mm-hmm. acting like this is familiar. And that's that's a comfort to us as human beings. Definitely. That's a real comfort that I definitely had. Even meeting someone who's, you know, Amy Hoggett's episode where her dad died of pancreatic cancer. I was like, oh, I've never met anyone whose dad died of the same thing. Like, yeah. it just made me feel better because I didn't feel alone. And human beings don't like feeling alone. Yeah. That's just, we just don't like it. Yeah, very true. Oh, Anna, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. About Robert and... Dad too and grandma <laughs> yeah. and Steve Lady, is that right? The Steve Lady. The Steve Lady. The Steve Lady and, and Joe, Joe and mm-hmm. everybody. I I miss them all. Yeah. And you know, that that part never goes away, but it just you get 
you get used to dealing with it. Yeah. And that's 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 the hard part. But it's also like once you get there and you're you're kind of like, I'm okay, I can remember this person without without it hurting. Um that's that's sort of yeah, you're like, Oh, all right. I'm adulting. <laughs> <laughs> you are, definitely. Trying. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can follow Anna on Twitter at Ms. Anna Matronic, and you can listen to her Radio 2 show, Dance Devotion, on the BBC Radio 2 player. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TheGriefCast or email us, thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble, and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.